Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. We've got a great guest this week, a fitness icon and golf icon. Uh, before we get to him, a reminder, you can use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, uh, to get 15% off a Whoop membership, which comes with hardware, software, analytics. Whoop is designed to help you improve your health. Check it out at whoop.com. This week's guest is golf legend Gary Player. Gary is 85 years old, and he still trains harder than most 40-year-olds. Gary's been working out since he was eight years old when his older brother went off to World War II and made him promise to stay active so he could pursue his dreams of becoming a professional athlete. It's a phenomenal story. So he's been a real pioneer for bringing fitness to professional sports and certainly for bringing fitness to professional golf. When he first started lifting weights, most people around the game of golf questioned whether lifting weights was even good for golf. We discussed Gary's career, his philosophies on life, fitness, and happiness. That includes how he used visualization to reach new heights in golf, his four keys to living a long and healthy life, what he's learned about travel and how he's been able to thrive despite flying over 16 million miles in his life, his perspective on gratitude and mental health, his thoughts on nutrition and why he's so concerned about childhood obesity. This is a big theme for Gary. We touched on it a number of times. And why adversity is the key to success. He said he used to pray for adversity on the first tee before tournaments, which I thought was a pretty amazing soundbite. Uh, there's a lot to enjoy here. Without further ado, here is Gary Player. Gary, welcome to the Whoop Podcast. Thank you, Will. Nice to be uh, talking to you guys. You guys are doing a lot of fantastic work and admire you very much indeed. Well, you and I met on the golf course of all places. Seems appropriate with the great Jimmy Don. That was a fun round we had with James. And uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, you gave me a lot of tips out there. I hope you've been putting them into practice because you really have a beautiful golf swing. And I want to get you to where you're playing well. So I'll bring you in as a uh, ringer. And you can be my partner. We can make a lot of extra cash on the side, man. I like that. I like that a lot. We're going to talk a lot about health and fitness because you brought health and fitness in a lot of ways to golf for your era, for sure. I wanted to start by asking you when you knew you were going to be a professional golfer. In 1953, I, uh, I turned pro. I was small in stature. In fact, my brother went to war when he was 17 and I was, I think, nine in South Africa. And the day he left, I can still see him. He was going to fight with America and the Allies at 17, much to my mother and father's disgust at that age. But anyway, he said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a, a professional athlete of some kind. He said, you're too small. And he got me a set of secondhand weights, and I started using them uh, in uh, 1953. And then when I started using weights, I was ridiculed. You cannot believe. I mean, even my friends Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas at that stage said, you can't use weights and play golf. And uh, so there was another man called Frank Stranahan who took his weights. He was a very wealthy amateur. He took his weights with him when he went to different golf tournaments. And uh, we worked out together, and it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, how do you ever explain to people the value 
of exercise. I must admit, though, I always thought that exercise was 60 and eating was 40. I now think that eating is 60 and exercise is 40. However, that's a very debatable issue. Obesity is the biggest crime that exists with our health in the worldwide today. I don't know about places like India and China where they, they're not a nation of, of obese, as far as I know. I haven't done the stats on them, but I do know America, South Africa, and most of the Western countries, the biggest danger, more dangerous than any disease or war, is obesity. Once you start getting fat, you're going to end on the mat. People don't worry about health, Will. I'm telling you, if you take this great country, if there are 20 million people that exercise all the time, it'll be a lot. I don't know what the numbers are, but they'll start exercise, but they'll quit after a year. Because to exercise takes a lot of discipline, and a lot of people just say, well, it's just too much, particularly young people. I'm working all day. I've got a job. I'm trying to support my family. I come home. I'm exhausted. I'm just not going to do exercise. And, you you know, to a degree, you can understand that. But it's still, if you exercise, you'll have more energy. Anyways, you, you're putting exercise, you're putting money in the bank, really. And so to get young people, but Will, in the United States, what school in America teaches children about what to eat and how to exercise and how to use the mind? Oh, look, I think that, I think it's a great point. I mean, I think the it's a travesty that 40% of the U.S. is obese. And for some reason, it doesn't seem to be ridiculed the way other problems in the country are. You're right. It's an education problem as well. A lot of it comes back to what you should eat and just doing a little bit more in terms of activity. I mean, we talk about obesity. It's not even so much exercise as it is just eating properly and moving. I don't like to eat bread. I don't like to eat bacon. I don't like to eat drink milk. I don't like to eat a lot of high fats. I don't eat like to eat a lot of meat. Uh, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't. I try and watch what I eat. I try to eat a lot of salads, a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruit. Drink a lot of water. But there's water and there's water. Where do you find good water anymore? That's another question. The stuff that we put into our bodies, if you buy something at a drugstore and you look on the back of the package, it's scary to see the stuff that's in it. You buy a, a packet of uh, potato crisps and you see 100 or 150 sodium. I mean, I don't know. It's just very concerning to me that there isn't, I don't know, it, but I think it comes back from the families, but the mother and fathers don't know, unfortunately, because they were yeah. never educated along these lines. So yeah. we've got to get it in the schools. We've got to. It's imperative. It's strengthening a nation. And, you know, the other thing that concerns me, Will, will, will the uh, healthcare systems benefits be in existence in time to come? With people dying and getting sick like uh, it's a daily occurrence, are the countries going to be able to afford it? That's the other thing. I do think that it's going to get better. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about that, and in part because of where I sit in in building Whoop and uh, and thinking about what the future of the healthcare system could be. You know, health monitoring, Gary, the ability to continuously measure someone's body invasively, mm -hmm. and to be able to prevent things before they happen, 
can so dramatically revolutionize the healthcare industry. It's it's pretty staggering. I mean, as you know, all the costs in the healthcare industry are curative costs. Something's already happened. It's too late, and now we're trying to fix it. Yeah. If you can get to someone before that thing happens, whether it's a disease state, whether it's a heart attack, whether it's obesity, you can dramatically uh, change the cost equation of the whole healthcare system. And I believe you can also put more power into the individual's hands. Part of what I think has made you so successful in life is you have an incredible self-discipline. A lot of people lack that discipline, but if you give them enough information, they yeah. can start to take actions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm talking now on a global basis, not sort of on an individual basis. But if you just take a from a percentage basis, not everyone's nearly as disciplined as you are. So you have to find the little bits of motivation or the little bits of encouragement that can drive the whole system forwards. And I, I do believe that non-invasive wearable technology will play a massive role in improving some of the things that you touched on. Well said. Uh, and that's why your whoop system is really so outstanding. It's like having, it's actually in a comparison, it's like having, you know, telling people to exercise and they don't do it. But if they get a coach, if they get a trainer that comes in three times a week, they have to do it. Right. right. Your whoop is telling people, hey, listen, you know, you better watch this. You're not getting enough sleep. You're too tense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it will be there to nag them every day. It will make a massive difference. And so what you're doing, you, you, you're making money, which I'm pleased to hear, and I hope you do well. But you also, if you make money, it's a great thing if you're contributing to society. And that's so right. that's what you are doing, which for me is very exciting. One way we describe, way we describe WHOOP is to be this 24-7 life coach. So a lot of what you just described about having a trainer show up at your doorstep, you know, I think you can think about it the same way with sleep and recovery and nutrition and a lot of these other categories where people don't really have anyone to tell them what to do or yes. give them some guidance. And yeah. it's been amazing to see if you can just provide a little bit of information to people about how they're sleeping or how they're recovering, how dramatically that will make them shift their behavior in a positive direction. Well, that's right. And, you know, I'm in the, the racehorse business, which is, a, as I say, without being repetitive, it's a very, very competitive uh, sport and the greatest athlete of all athletes. So you've got to train that horse well. You've got to feed him well. If you don't feed him well, he's not going to be the horse that you want him to be. And so what you put into your mouth, your food you put into your mouth determines how much energy you've got. I mean, I sleep nine hours a night. I can very comfortably sleep 10 hours. Wow. And I think one of the reasons I'm so fit at 85, and I am fit at 85. I mean, uh, you know, when I exercised last night, I'm doing the equivalent of most 40-year-olds in the gym. I'm working out extremely hard. Um, what does your workout look like? Well, I, I exercise my entire body. And obviously I try and exercise what's going to be beneficial for my golf swing. You know, so I work out my neck because when you hit a ball, you're a tremendous stress hitting it hard. Your neck takes a lot of strain, your back, the lower back. When I go and have a check on my back, the, the doctors say, oh, we don't know how you've hit 15 million balls and you still are able to walk. They said you <laughs> to be worn out. But, you know, an interesting thing. Well, I had a ranch in South Africa. I just sold it, and it broke my heart. We had water on that ranch that was as good as any water in the world. It came out of the wells. And we had a, a population of 30,000 30, 
6,000 people in our village. We never had a dentist. People of my age had never been to a dentist in their lives, never had wow. a filling. And this water had the, 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 the proper minerals that were really necessary to develop bone. Now you take a horse's leg. When they, they cut the hoof of a leg, to, they trim the hoof of the leg uh, to put a shoe on the horse. And they did it in certain areas. And this farrier, the man who does that, says to me, you know, when I go to other places, the hoof is very soft. When I come here, the hoof is three times as hard. So we weren't imagining things. We did a stress test on crushing a bone. And the one went at, say, hypothetically, 17 pounds per square inch of, of pressure. On my farm, it was almost twice as much, the bone. And so, so you attribute that to the quality of the water? No question about Wow. It. And also zero pollution. Zero pollution and oxygen intake. Well, people don't breathe properly. They just... <laughs> They're not breathing. They should. Well, that's a great. That's a great point. I, yeah. I mean, I think I think proper breathing uh, can change your life. I do. You know, well, just a small thing like this. Watch. <laughs> See, you should be able to do that for a minute. Yeah. Exhale. You ask people to do that. If they do it for fifteen seconds, they're doing well. And then you got to inhale it and hold it in there but that's if it's good fresh air you don't want to be doing that in china with all india with all their pollution that's not going to do you any good so well, I, yeah i think that i think the world's best golfers which of course you are a part of are, are, are terrific uh at breathing because you have to be in order to hit some of those shots under intense pressure otherwise yes. your body tenses up right yes correct and walking and walking is such a wonderfully you know, people don't give walking enough credit as an exercise. People, elderly people, you know, are sitting down. I love the song that uh, I think it's Keith did for uh, Clint Eastwood. Don't let the old man in. It's a great yeah. thing. And this is what people are doing. They're letting the old man in. And that's wrong. You've got to get up there and irrespective of how you're in pain or how old you are, you've got to get out, take the pain as best you can. And my wife has got pancreatic cancer now and spends most of her time in bed. When we get out, we make her move the legs and walk as best you can. That body, you've got to exercise that body. It is absolutely imperative. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I've done so many experiments with weights and with speed training and with dashing uh, so, and then underwater swimming. I've done so, and chilling the bar, which I don't do anymore because I – I don't want to hurt my shoulders at my age, so I don't do that. But the experiments I've done are fascinating. The human being's body, we built to live over 100. We are built, that's how we are built to be. And, For sure. we, will, and we will go back to that with technology. There's no question about it. Now, for you in, in the game of golf, age 17, you start lifting weights and you tell everyone you're going to be a professional golfer. At that point, was it obvious that you were like a great golfer? Because some people were critical of you going pro even, right? Oh, no. I mean, when <laughs> I told my dad I wanted to be a pro golfer and I was going to turn pro at 17, he said, are you crazy? You've got to go on to university and get a degree. And uh, I said, Dad, there are many great people in the world that have never had degrees. I said, the degree I'm going to get is traveling the world, meeting people, learning by traveling, which is better than any degree, quite honestly, to experience it. 
I mean, people might hypothetically talk about socialism. They don't know what socialism is until you've gone there and you've seen it. You follow. So yeah. in life, you've got to be able to see something, what, uh, uh, not just talk about it and, and learn about it. So my dad was shocked, and, uh, but he didn't know, uh, even though I was his son, what I was to sacrifice and do. And, uh, but it takes a tremendous amount of effort. Uh, obviously, and you've got to make many sacrifices and you've got to do a lot of suffering. I mean, uh, you know, people say, well, what are you talking about suffering? You, you you won all these world titles, you made a lot of money, but we didn't have any money. My mother died when I was nine. My brother went to war when he was 17. I wasn't allowed to play golf because I was from South Africa, in Japan, in China, in India, in Denmark, in Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. I had people demonstrating in me a Dayton, Ohio, throwing ice in my eyes, telephone books in my back, charging me on the green, screaming when I was put, uh, playing and throwing balls between my legs when I was putting. So all these things were a great, great asset. All the suffering, all <laughs> the adversity was the greatest gift ever bestowed upon me. That's what made me become a champion. And the, the tougher it is, the better it is for you. you I love that. There's no such thing as this perfect life. I love that. And so much of success, I think, comes from overcoming great obstacles. At what point did you meet Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, who really became your, your rivals and close friends in, in your era? Okay. Well, uh, Jack, uh, basically, I met them in, in 1957 when I first came to America. Jack turned pro later. Jack is, you know, almost five years younger uh, than I am, and obviously a lot older, younger than Arnold Palmer, almost 10 years or so. So, uh, but what a wonderful time we had, and we won most of the majors. I mean, you think that we won between us 300 golf tournaments, and uh, it was so great competing against them because they were such fierce competitors. Uh, we went around the world and we promoted golf on humanitarian ideas, work together, live together, love each other. You know, there are four things that if a person can do, it will be conducive to long living and well living. If you can eat half as much, if you can exercise every day, even if you do it three times a week, and you can laugh. See, laughter, if you look at the discrepancy between laughter and happiness, it's enormous. When you're sad, it's terrible. When you're laughing, you the endorphins, they are the young cells of your body. You are, I really believe one of the main reasons I'm so strong and so fit at 85 is because I laugh so much. I laugh all the time. Yeah, and you it's do. an injection. It's an injection into your system, man. And the other thing is have unmeasured love in your heart. Look yeah. Well, look at the world we live in now. If you say you're a Trump fan, they want to fight you. If you say you're a Biden fan, they want to fight you. The hatred yeah. exists. We've got to get rid of this hatred. Martin Luther King, what a wonderful man who said, and Mandela, I spent, I spent three years with Mandela. What an incredible human being. Wow. He had no revenge, no hatred in his heart. And if anybody had a reason to have hatred and revenge, it was Nelson Mandela going to jail for over 20 years. And I said to him, you must hate the white man and have great revenge. He said, to the contrary, I have no hatred and no revenge. I've got to now bring us together. That's, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about experiences that have existed, that go to the extreme. And that's where I get my ideas from, Martin Luther King and Mandela. And Mandela said, we've got to now 
Forget about the past. Remember it, but work together and build on it and make a new future. And that's what we got to do. Not live with hatred in your heart. Amazing. Now, you mentioned great competitors. What do you makes a great competitor? Uh, a great competitor is a man who really enjoys adversity. Now, how many people can you say <laughs> enjoy adversity? Very, very few. And funny enough, when I used to play, I used to get on the tee and say, please, uh, Lord, let me have that adversity today and I'll show you how to beat it. And that, oh, isn't that great? Yeah. And so uh, I think that's a thing. And obviously through that, through that, it, uh, it encompasses a lot of things. You never give up. You never feel sorry for yourself. It's, uh, it's there as a, uh, as a guidance to tell you, behave well, compliment the man when he hits a good shot. When he beats you, look him in the eye and say, well done. Because when you win, you want them to do that to you. So it teaches you an awful lot. But there are a lot of people, and the, but the big thing is to believe in yourself. That's the big thing, to believe. A lot of players get on the tee and say, I'm the best in the world. But the minute they get on that first tee at, a, at the British Open or the, or, or the Masters, they say, whoo, this is another world, man. I'm not so sure I believe in myself, subconsciously. Now, you strike me as someone who's done a good job overcoming feelings of doubt. In fact, when we were together, you talked about visualizations and how they played a big role in your success. Describe that a little bit more. And, and for people listening to this, what, what are some of the best ways to overcome doubt and create that belief system? Well, for a start, if I had to start my career again, I would hire a coach that does yoga to hmm. keep your body stretched and your mind at peace. The mind is the secret to life, really. Everything originates out of the mind. And yep. you have the choice to do it or not to do it. Now, when I won the U.S. Open, I wanted, I needed to win the U.S. Open uh, to be the first modern-day player, so to speak, to win the Grand Slam. And that's right. a big task to do that. And I was going to go to Greensboro, and Jack Nicholas said, no, don't go to Greensboro. Come to uh, St. Louis with me, to Bell Reeve Golf Club, and if you want to beat me and win the Grand Slam before I do, because I'm trying to do it before you do it, you got to come and practice with me. I said, Jack, I don't have the money to do that. He says, come. So I went, reluctantly. And... I was there and we practiced together. Then Jack flew back home here to Florida and I stayed on. And every morning I used to get up and go to the scoreboard. Now the scoreboard is a massive scoreboard with all the US Open champions throughout history. And I sat in a Tai Chi position, which you know is not easy to do with your legs at parallel with the ground. I'd sit there for five minutes every morning and I saw Gary Player on the scoreboard, 1965. I saw Gary Player, Gary Player. I did that. I brainwashed myself, and I really sincerely believed I was going to do it. I went to the gym every day. I never went out to dinner one night. I had room service. I wore, and I'm not superstitious, I wore the same shirt every day. It was a, <laughs> it was a black shirt. It felt so good. It felt so good on me. And so clothing has a big, a clothing, a shirt's got to feel good to you. Otherwise, you're not going to swing. Totally. Thing. So, but then I dried it out. And the humidity was so unbearable there, and I wore black, but I was so fit, and I was squatting with 325 pounds. And one golf architect walked by and said, Gary Player will never win another golf course tournament by past the age of 35. You can't do weights and lift these and these heavy weights and play golf. Well, I SMSed him to heaven the other day and said, Listen, 
I'll be up there one of these days. Make sure you've got a good gym and design a good golf course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the thing is that uh, the way I prepared for that tournament, and I sat in front of the mirror every day like this at night, and I said, you'll never give up. You'll never feel sorry for yourself. You will behave properly. You will hit more ball. You will exercise. You will not be greedy with your diet. <laughs> That's when I first saw living. And you and you were literally slapping yourself because I'm watching hard, you slap hard, yourself. No, hard because no pain, no gain. No, I wasn't tapping myself. Amazing. I put the Nivea cream on my face every night afterwards. <laughs> so how long would you slap yourself for? Well, I went through a routine and did about, I would say, an average of 12 things, you know, to brainwash myself. And you just kept repeating those things and slapping. Uh, I did. And you're going to have a bad hole. It's impossible to play without a bad hole. You're going to miss some short putts. And don't yep. stand there and look at it like, uh, you know, it's not supposed to happen to you. Miss it. Get the hell out of there and go and hit the next shot. And I said, remember, the one thing I kept saying myself, it's the next one. When you get a bad shot, forget it. There's nothing that can be done about it. Forget it. The next one. I, that was a saying I had. The next one. And, I love that. I love and, that. You know, and you're going to win. There's nobody that's going to beat you because nobody is preparing like you do. Nobody has hit as many golf balls as you has that's ever lived. Nobody's traveled across the world with no jets, 40 hours going from South Africa to America, traveling with six children, with a wonderful wife that made the sacrifice. Nobody's done this in sports like you have. Nobody. So you're going to win. So you see, the mind is so, we haven't scratched the surface, Will. We haven't scratched the surface of the mind. A great example, Phil Mickelson. Amazing. He was, over, he was overweight, okay? I've been saying for years, for 20, 30 years, I've been saying somebody at 50 will win a major. Now I'm going to, and I've always been criticized for my so-called kook ideas. That they're going to hit the ball 400 yards. You, you're a kook. Somebody at 50 will win the major champion. You're a coup. Now I'm going to say somebody of 60 will win a major one day. Yeah, so for sure. A long time. And now I'm really a coup. And somebody will hit the ball 500 yards. A LeBron James will come out and play golf instead of basketball, and he will hit it 500 yards. You're a coup. So all these things I've been saying are actually taking place. So we, the mind, the mind is so, so unbelievable. We use 10% of it. Imagine if we could use, as Einstein said, 15%. Imagine if you could use 20%, which in time we will. We will be doing extrasensory perception. I'll be talking to you. You'll be in South Africa and I'll be here and we'll communicate without a phone or any device whatsoever and I will communicate with you across the globe. Now, you, people say, this guy is really a kook. <laughs> but think about it. If you said to your father that you and I would be sitting here and talking to each other like this, or I will send a message to South Africa and across the world, which I communicate with every day. And it will take, you, you send a message, two seconds later, there's a message. Your dad would have said, well, you're not feeling very well. We better see, get a doctor. <laughs> so we haven't scratched the surface yet. Well, it's only crazy until it happens. And uh, as we've seen, technology can go a long way quickly. You mentioned uh, Phil Mickelson winning uh, the PGA Championship. When you watch a tournament like that, having been around golf for so long, is there a moment where it's obvious to you what's going to happen? Or do you kind of find yourself caught up in the suspense of it? Like, did you think he was going to win all along or after the third round or so? Or did you sense that it wasn't a slam dunk until the 18th hole? No, it wasn't a slam dunk until the 18th hole. 
And a man like uh, Kepka with his long distance, he had, I mean, he played the three par fives in more than three over par, which would normally be three under par. I mean, it was just a simple sure. But there are no ifs. Remember this. Let's talk about the word if in a minute. But what Phil did, and it was so obvious, and I hope people are not oblivious of the fact. There he was. He's lost weight. You could see it in his face. You could see it in his body. Yep. He could turn better. He could unwind better. His balance was great. And also, he was focused. You could see it. This oh, guy, insanely focused. Insanely focused. Have you ever seen a golf? Now, Tiger Woods did that all the time. Jack Nicklaus did it. I did it. A lot of uh, Not a lot of players. There were a few players. I'm going to take that back. There were a few players. Jordan Spieth does that well. Now, if you looked at the way that Phil's mind was, it was just extraordinary. It was oozing out in the camera, saying to you, look at this. Look at the weight he's lost. You know, weight, as we come back to, weight stops a train. Never mind a human being. The worst thing we come back to, which we started when we started this podcast, weight is the great destroyer of the human being. And this should be taught to children. But anyway... So when Phil is playing, I'm saying to myself, well, he's focused. We're all hoping he's going to win. But what I liked, and there's a great lesson for people. When I mentioned to live these four things to live a long time, unmeasured love. When Phil holds a putt, he goes up with his thumb. He goes to a young boy, shakes his hand. He blows a kiss to a woman. Things that we had, we did because we didn't have money. We were playing for tournaments and it and we learn to communicate with people. Communication is so important. And yep. Phil was so great. Now, you watch the other guys hold a putt. I'm not kidding. You saw them hold a 20-foot putt. They walk off the green like they're going to a funeral. <laughs> but say, hey, man, that was great. Because to hold a 20-foot putt is great. And give people the love. And then I noticed on the TV, one of the guys ended up his program saying, well, the crowd were unruly. Sure, they were unruly. Because here's a man at 50 accomplished something that had never been accomplished. And he gave love. So he got all the love and affection and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is one of the great essences of life. It was a great example. School teachers should be taking that video and showing children what can be accomplished through love and diet and mindset. You're, you're quoted as saying, uh, accept the advice of the man who loves you, though you like it not at present. Well, you know, I had a son that could really play golf. I mean, he should have been really, if he had my head on his shoulders, he would have been one of the 10 best players in the world. And, uh, but he didn't have the dedication. And uh, that's fine. You know, you, that's the, the young man's choice. But when I tell him something about the swing, he was reluctant to listen. But he'd go to somebody else who didn't know much about the swing, and he thought he was being taught everything. And how often do you see with parents? I mean, parents who listen sure. understand 100% what I'm saying. You tell your, oh, Dad, you're old-fashioned. What do you really know? You know, and, and the older they get, the more they realize how much their father and mother really realized. And, uh, and on that topic... We've got to get young people to honor their mother and their father because a lot of children forget what their mother and their fathers, the sacrifices they made for them from day one to honor your mother and your father is important. So 
uh, you know, it all stems back, Will. Everything st- stems back from the mind. Well, in some ways, it, it leads me to thinking talent is overrated and a real mental clarity and focus and belief is dramatically underrated. You're so right. For you, it seems like a lot of this uh, mindset came from within. Is that fair? Like, did you just start, you'd learn this over time? I mean, this idea of going out and sitting in front of the leaderboard and picturing your name atop it. I mean, that's like, uh, you know, true sports psychology today. But I imagine you didn't have a sports psychologist telling you to go do that, did you? No. I mean, money so, so where did you get that idea? What was what? What, what a great question that is, and uh, you're going to get an answer that a lot of people will poo-poo. Uh, I think I got mine through prayer, um, huh. by sincere prayer, and uh, I mean, even today, at the age of 85, I never miss one single day where I don't say a prayer at least five times a day. I say thank you that I can sit here and talk to you like this and maybe help a few people. I say thank you when I have a breakfast. Hey, Will, a lot of people don't have breakfast. A lot of people don't have a telephone. Majority of the people, they don't have a breakfast. The majority of people don't have three, two meals, one meal a day. They don't have one meal a day. Most people, a lot of people don't have blankets. They don't have television. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have a house. They don't have a car. They don't have money. They don't have a school, but people forget about this. Well, Gratitude. I'm, I'm entitled to this. You, as I repeat, you're not entitled to a damn thing. So we are one of the select, all your people that are listening to this today are the selected few. Why are we selected? I can't answer that. We'll find out one day. But all I can say is gratitude is a terribly important thing because it can be taken away from you like that. We One tick and you're dead. And by the way, it's, it's one of the great, happiness hacks out there is just being grateful for things. I don't care how you want to practice it. Uh, a gratitude journal, uh, sitting down and taking a deep breath and saying, thank you. Like you just described, you know, having people in your life that you regularly say you're grateful for, it actually produces serotonin and it makes you happier. And there's a lot of hard charging people, Gary, who, win a lot of things in their life or, or get a lot of measurable success, whether it's wealth or fame or otherwise, but they're, they're operating solely on a dopamine system, right? Yeah. The dopamine system is saying, when I get to the next thing, when I win the next award, when I get the next trophy, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be happy. Yeah. But actually you have to introduce gratitude along the way and appreciate it. Otherwise you're miserable. And I've seen this with a lot of hard charging entrepreneurs. We all get carried away of what is important in life that is not really important. And what you were saying is is so, so true. But gratitude, you know, gratitude is a terribly important thing, just to be grateful. And a lot of people, you know, don't have all these luxuries, but they're extremely happy in life. And look, I think that that modern day professional sports uh, and professional athletes, I think, are struggling with this as well. Yes, they are where they seem the least happy, at least in my lifetime, as they've ever been. I mean, I've never heard so many professional athletes talk about how they're having mental health issues. And can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a travesty. When you read about, I read about a tennis player that withdrew from a tournament because of depression. Well, I mean, it's just, look, 
I suppose you can have depression in your mind with a certain thing, but a lot of it comes back to the mind. You know, a lot of it comes back to the mind and we get into a very complicated uh, discussion here right now. But when I tell you one thing, I don't know about this depression thing. It can be a disease to a degree, but again, I see people with nothing in life that are so happy and have a great family. We get away from the things that are important, your family, your faith, a nice church, friends, to have good friends. There are reasons why people get depressed other than actually as a disease. They don't have the essentials, the ingredients that make them happy. It's not merely going to university and getting a degree. There's a lot more than that. There's a lot more to life. And I think the schools lack terribly in getting the message across. I wish I had the money of a Bill Gates to build a perfect school. Dress code, manners, uh, teaching love, teaching all the ingredients that are important. Well, I love that as a theme and, and you've lived every bit of it, you know, as a great example for what the mind is capable of. Our audience loves understanding habits and routines that can make you more successful, more optimal. Let's start with sleep. You talked a lot about how you have always invested in sleep. You think sleep is very important. Uh, you also travel enormously. You have been considered at one point or another the world's most traveled athlete, estimated to have flown more than 16 million miles in your life. So talk a little bit about sleep and travel and what are things that you do to be great at both? Well, first of all, if you sleep well, the reason I sleep well, I think, is because I keep my body moving. And yep. I exercise. So I, I get tired. I need the sleep. And I, as I say, I sleep an average of nine hours a night. <laughs> Yesterday, I went to, to a, a person's apartment, and they were only going to be there for 15 minutes. So I sat down on the couch and I went fast asleep. I mean, I get, car, I get in the car, I go to sleep. I get on an airplane and I go to sleep and we'll come to that in a minute. Jack Nicholas says traveling with me is like traveling on your own. But the thing is, <laughs> I, the reason why I sleep well is because I exercise. And my, by the time I go to bed, I'm tired and I really enjoy my sleep. And I think that sleep builds your immune system to a great degree. It puts you at peace. Now, traveling, I've traveled more miles, not in athletes, than any human being that's ever lived has never traveled as far as I have. I've been doing it since 1952, 1953. Now, how many years is that? That's over, what's that, 70 years? I don't know, what's it, what's it 53? Let's say 50, that's 50. That's 70-something years I've been traveling around the world. Yeah, and nobody's done that. A businessman might represent a company and travel extensively for 10 years, 15 years, let's go to extreme and say 20 years. But I've been doing it for all these years. And I'm not traveling to Los Angeles and back or to Hawaii. I'm traveling across the world, Australia, China, India, America, everywhere around the, and traveling with no jets. And what would you do, what would you do to beat the time zones? It sounds like you were someone who, who used to always fall asleep easily. Yeah. Is there something you would do right when you landed or you know, a certain diet? Yes, what I did was, I slept on the plane. When I arrived, I went to the gym immediately and, and worked my body and got the oxygen. And I tried to do it where I could get a lot of oxygen in my system because you're deprived of that 
and an airplane that high up in the sky. So I try to fill my body as much with oxygen. I had an ice cold bath, which we still, in our Western world, evaluating the importance of ice, which athletes now have suddenly recognized. When I was young here, they all put on heat. Now they get in cold baths. I mean, people like uh, Ronaldo, after a soccer match, they lie in this ice cold. We did it with horses ages ago, so we're still going to find out even more that what ice cold water does for you. But way back, I was lucky enough to find a man who told me the importance of that. I'd have an ice cold shower and then a hot shower and an ice cold and then a hot shower. And then I'd go to the, after the gym and I'd go out and practice. I wouldn't go to sleep. I'd get on the clock immediately. And I made sure of not eating a lot of bread and not eating a lot of heavy foods, what I call heavy foods, a lot of salads and vegetables. And I had a lot of water, a lot of water. So there are methods that you can, ad that you can adopt or adapt uh, by traveling. And you know, that's important because time change knocks the hang out of you. Now they've got a time change pill on the market, which is quite good, quite good. But What's that are, called? Uh, it's called jet lag. It's called jet lag, a jet lag pill of some kind. It's called jet huh. lag. Interesting. Very good. It's a very good pill. It, fill, it fills your body with a lot of things that at that height, you are deprived of. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, exercise. What would have been some of the best exercise routines for you uh, to be able to be, you know, break your age in golf, right? Yeah. Which is an amazing accomplishment along with all your millions of trophies. Well, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, that I'm very proud of that I've broken my age over 3,000 times in a row. Nobody's ever <laughs> I know That's Sam, amazing. I know Sam Sneed came close to that, but I spoke to him and he never did it. And I want to now be the first man to break his age, 18 shots. And just uh, yesterday, I did it by 14. Wait, uh, say that one more time. Break your age, what? To beat your age by 18 shots. In other oh, words, wow. one shot a hole. Now, I've done it 16 twice. I've done it 14 quite a few times. I'll be a year older next year, so it'll be easier. But it's a <laughs> thing to beat your age by 18 shots. But the thing is, you've got to set goals. You've always got to set a goal in life. Once you stop setting, you are on a downward slope. You've got to keep setting goals, whether it's raising money for charity. I, what I, one of the things I like to do, which is a daily occurrence, you know, everywhere I go, the love I'm given is unbelievable. And a man says, it happens every day. Well, Gary, you know, my dad really loves you. My mother loves you. I said, are they alive? They said, yes. I said, get them on the phone. Now, he says, I said, yes, I do that every day. That's so awesome. Said, Mom and dad, how are you? I'm with your son here. We're playing golf. We're having a great day. Listen, thanks for your support. Thanks for help building America into a great country. You know, it's just, you've got to have a zest for life. You've got to have things that you keep doing, set goals, whatever, big or small. Well, what a beautiful message. I have to say, Gary, you know, you're an inspiration just in the, with the energy you live life. You know, it seems like every day is a new adventure for you and you're grateful for it. And you're as hard charging as ever with all the accomplishments behind you and all the new ones ahead of you. Thank you for the inspiring messages today and, and really for all that you've done for the game of golf. But I think more broadly as, as an inspiration for, for young, young people and old people to, you know, keep pushing every day. And uh, I hope we get to play golf again soon. It was it was a pleasure. I think I'm swinging a little better now too. By the way, I hadn't played for a few months uh, leading up to that game, but uh, I'm feeling good about my game. <laughs>
Oh, good. Well, keep playing and keep walking. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see how much uh, we are getting young people to play golf now all over the world. In South Africa, we have these wonderful programs for underprivileged children to play golf now. And it's wonderful to see. Now, take care, Will, and I've enjoyed talking to you. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Take care. Thank you, Gary, for coming on the Whoop podcast. A reminder, you can use the code WILLAHMED, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, to get 15% off your Whoop membership. You can follow us on social, at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. And stay healthy, folks. Stay in the green.